Well, good morning, Four Points. Now, let me ask you a question. You need to be honest, okay? How many of you didn't set your clock this morning? We got a few honest people here today. All right, good, good. For some of you, this is the first time in a long time you've been on time for something, wasn't it, huh? Let's just tell the truth. We got one honest guy right there in the middle. Thank you, man. I appreciate it. Hey, that's great. I want to tell you a story about a guy by the name of Danny. Danny was was a thrill-seeking kind of guy, and he wanted to go spunkling. And he wanted to add that to his list of adventures, okay? Kind of reminds me Morgan or Blake. Just kind of like something I think you guys would probably do, okay? And if you're wondering what spunkling is, uh uh-oh, that's the wrong thing there. I knew he was going to do that. If you're wondering what spunkling is, there's a picture of it, okay? It's cave exploration. Now, that's not something that encourages me, okay? That's not something that I get excited about. And so, but Danny was a thrill seeker, a daredevil, and it was something that he wanted to do. And so basically he hired a guide and, and came up with a date and, and they entered into this cave. Before long, they hadn't been in there long at all, he's stooping and then all of a sudden he's crawling on his hands and his knees and eventually the only way to go forward and get through the cave was to lay on his back. Now listen. That's something, if you've got a big nose, you ain't even going to think about that, okay? So that just zeroes me out automatically, okay? But he could go forward, and the only way that he could do that was push his feet, push his body forward with his feet. Then before long, the passageway was so narrow, now get this, he had to stop, inhale, and exhale to get his chest low enough to move forward. Uh-uh, uh-uh. You see, guys, I get, I get scared in an elevator. My wife will tell you that. Okay, I couldn't imagine this. At this point, it was impossible to back out. Danny, the skydiving, mountain climbing, hang gliding thrill seeker, felt sheer panic, and we can all identify with that. Finally, he told his guide, I'm about to lose it. I can't take it. The guide said, Danny, close your eyes and listen to my voice. I will get you through this. I've been here before, but you must listen to my voice. Don't let your thoughts run wild. Just listen to my voice. You see, he had to surrender control of his thoughts and and his fears and his emotions and listen to the God's voice. Can I ask you a question today? Whose voice are you listening to? Who do you listen to when your world's falling apart, when it seems like it's caving in, when things don't make sense? Can I ask you a question? What are you holding on to? The past is the past. Don't dwell on it. Learn from it. Move on. Let it make you better, not bitter. The Lord says, I'll give you beauty for ashes. But watch this. You can't receive the beauty until you get rid of the ashes. Some of us just love to hold on to the ashes. You see, we don't understand everything that happens, but I can tell you something, God does. Can I tell you something this morning, Four Points Church? Setbacks are setups for God's purpose and power in our life. 
setbacks or setups for God's purpose and power in Four Points Church. Setbacks give God an opportunity to show up. Anytime there was a miracle in the scripture, most of the time it was in response to a setback. You're confused. You're disappointed. You feel like you've been let down, don't you? That's okay. Let me tell you what happens most of the time when there's a setback in our life or what should happen. We need to evaluate ourselves, not look at somebody else. Evaluate ourselves because normally if God lets a setback come into our life, there's something he's trying to show us. You see, what happens a lot of times when God sends us a setback, it's because we're comfortable. God is more concerned about building your character than he is about making you comfortable. God is more concerned about building his, his temple. He's more concerned about his plan and his kingdom than he is with our comfort. Can I be real honest with you here today at Four Points Church? Four Points Church has got too comfortable. Hey, we're running 400 and something. We got money in the bank. We've got some land. I believe God says, hey, guys, you're too comfortable. God never wants the church to be comfortable because when you do, you lose your mission. You lose your purpose. And I believe that's not what God wants for us. I believe God wants us to look into ourselves and confront some areas of our life where he needs to do a powerful work. There's a passage of scripture, I think, that can minister to us. Look at Psalms 46, 1 through 4. You say, well, Stephen, where do I go in that time? God is our refuge and our strength, a very present help in trouble or in our time of need, depending on what, what translation that you use. A refuge is a place of trust. In other words, a refuge is a place where you can be honest. In other words, God is saying, you can be honest with me. You don't have to put on. You don't have to show something you're not. You can be real. And I'll give you strength, and I'll be a very present help in your trouble, in your time of need. A refuge is a place to take shelter. It's a fortress, a tower, a fort that you can go to in those times when life doesn't seem to make sense. But look at the rest of this verse here. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth gives away, though the mountains be moved in the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam, though the mountains tremble at its swelling. In other words, do you see this catastrophe here? This is actually what would be a natural catastrophe. But look at the next part of that verse. But there is a river. There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy habitation of the Most High. Listen to me this morning. You can base your life on fear. Or you can base it on, base it on faith. That passage of scripture there demonstrates that holy. You may feel like your world's falling apart, but let me tell you something, there is a river. And when the scripture talks about rivers, it's talking about freshness and life. It's where things grow. Let me tell you this morning, I know how you feel. I know how you're feeling. You say, well, preacher, how do you know how I feel? Will you go back to the future with me? About 43 years ago, 
Now, that's a lot longer than most of you were born, okay? Kind of shows the age of our congregation here, doesn't it, Austin? 43 years ago, my dad told me that we were moving. I said, what do you mean we're moving, Dad? He says, yeah. He says, I'm fixing to resign from the church, and we're moving to Conway, South Carolina. There ain't nothing good in Conway, South Carolina, y'all. Can I tell you that? The only thing good about Conway, South Carolina, is about 12, 13, 15 miles from the beach. And that's all I focused on. I was like, hey, at least I'll be toward the beach. <clears throat> Some of my friends will be down there. Not only was it bad enough that I was moving at 16 years old, but I had just messed up my foot, and I had a cast on my foot. So I can imagine I'm walking into a new school looking like an idiot with a cast on my foot. That was my perception. Well, it wasn't as bad as it seemed, and, and I got involved in some things there and, and really got into the FCA program and got to go to a camp that summer. It was a national FCA camp and, and actually had the quarterback at the University of Florida was my huddle leader. And God did an amazing work in my life then. So I get home. It had been about three or four weeks, and we're sitting at the dinner table, and, and my dad says, Hey, buddy, what do you think about moving back to Greer? I said, you got to be kidding, Dad. Are you serious? When do we move? He said, I'm really thinking about it. I'm praying about it. And I think I'm going to tell the church Sunday. I said, Daddy, we ain't been here but five or six months. He said, yeah, I know it, but God's finished with me here. I've done what I came to do. Man, I was happy. Whew. I didn't understand it. I couldn't believe it because I knew my dad... But a church from Greer, South Carolina, not even a church yet, had contacted my dad and said, we feel like there's a big need for a church in the east side of Greenville. There's a brand new high school there called Riverside High School. And we feel like there needs to be a church there. And several years after that, Riverside Baptist Church was built right across from Riverside High School. At the time, there were no neighborhoods. There was a few houses within a half a mile. You know what it's like today if you ride by there. Several months went by, and Langston Church called a pastor that retired there after almost 30 years. I began to see God's hand. Listen to me this morning. God knows what's going on. Nothing surprises him. I know how you feel, but I also know the end of it. I know the other side of it. That church wouldn't have been there. And God wouldn't have done what he needed to do at Langston Church. The other night I was spending some time studying, trying to really figure out what God wanted me to share and, and just thinking about and, and listening to some music and, and just reading scripture and worshiping the Lord, trying to sing. And you know, Shannon, it ain't good, okay? But that's all right. And so I'm just asking for that guidance. And, and there was a song that came on that I'd never heard before. And I couldn't even tell you the name of it. She probably could when she hears, hears some of the phrases. But I kept listening, listening to that song. And, and then I heard these words. Oh, Lord, your presence is the comfort of my soul. Let all that I am be consumed with you. Well, those words didn't make much sense to me for a little while, and, and uh, I just kept listening to the song, but it had got my attention, and I was just sitting there, and then I heard the phrase three or four more times, and, and then it's finally like God said, well, big boy, are you not listening? I'm trying to get your attention. 
That's, that phrase is for you. And I began to get my pen and I wrote down, your presence is the comfort of my soul that all that I am be consumed with who you are. And I kept listening to that song. And after I wrote that down, I sat there and I just meditated a little bit, continued to listen to that song. And then it went off. And then it was like God told me and spoke to me, said, that's not just for you, Stephen. That's for Four Points Church. Oh, Lord, your presence is the comfort of my soul. Let all that I am be consumed with who you are. Can I ask you a question? What are you consumed with? What are you consumed with? You see, I believe God is challenging us and, and speaking to us to, to say, you need to be consumed with all that I am. Can I tell you how to turn a, a, a setback into a, a positive situation? Pray, God, your presence is the comfort of my soul. God, let all that I am be consumed with who you are. Listen to me, church. Spiritual growth is simply increasing our, our capacity to experience the presence of God. Did you hear that? Spiritual growth is simply increasing our capacity to experience the presence of God. Finding ourselves in his presence. Finding constant pleasure in his divine company. In these times of uncertainty, these times of question, we need to listen to the voice of God. We need to seek his presence. We need to lean on our faith and not dwell on our fear. We need to look at the situation that we're facing, that you're facing at home and in your work and in everything you do. We need to look at the situation in the right perspective. Not just any perspective, but a faith-based perspective. Because I really believe that faith-based thinking leads to a faith-based perspective. Faith-based thinking leads to a faith-based perspective. We see this all throughout Scripture. The Bible is full of it. Joshua, Caleb, they were two spies that Moses had called out to explore the land, and, and God had told him to choose 12 men to, to go look at the land that they'd been promised, and, and, and the children of Israel had been in, been in the wilderness for a long time. And so they went, and they spied out this land, and, and they came back, and, 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 and 10 of them looked at the land, and they said, yes, it's flowing with milk and honey, but the people there are large. The town is fortified. There are giants. These giants made us look like grasshoppers, but not Joshua and Caleb. Look at their faith-based perspective. Look what they said to the people. If the Lord delights in us, he will bring us into this land, and he will give us the land that flows with milk and honey. Ten spies saw it one way through the face of fear. Two saw it another Ten spies responded in fear. Two spies responded in faith. Ten felt like grasshoppers compared to the giants. Two focused on the God that made the giants. Their faith-based thinking led to their faith-based perspective. Their perspective was not how big the giants were. Their perspective was how big their God is. 
Listen to me this morning. We have a big God that's bigger than our problems and nothing we face surprises him. God wasn't up in heaven going, wow, I didn't believe that happened. Didn't see that coming. Yeah? Got a little story that I think I need to share with you here that may lighten you up a little bit and help you to understand. A young college girl back in the day when you wrote letters, some of you don't understand that, okay? But she wrote a letter to her mom from college and said, don't be alarmed, mom, I broke my arm. I also broke my leg when I jumped from the second floor of my dorm because of a fire. I was only in the hospital for a few days and I didn't want to tell you because I didn't want to worry you. There's this guy named Paul. I wish you could meet him. He is something else. He really comforted me after the fire. He works at a local convenience store. He came to see me every day in the hospital, and since our dorms are not livable, I decided to move in with him. I need to tell you, Mom, that I'm pregnant, but Paul and I plan to get married as soon as his divorce is final. How are things at home? Woo! Mm. I will write later. Love you, your daughter Susie. Then at the bottom it says, P.S. Mom, none of the above is true, but I did get a C in sociology and I might flunk chemistry, but I wanted you to look at it in the right perspective. (laughs) That sounds like something one of mine would do to their mother, okay? I could see that happening. Definitely. But Jacob and Caleb had the right perspective. Can I tell you something, Four Points Church? How old are we, Austin? Eight or nine years old? Which one is it? Eight years old. Can I tell you something when you look in the right perspective? We're a young church, and we've had two great pastors. We've had two great pastors. There's a lot of churches that have been around 70 years. They ain't had a good pastor. They can't keep a pastor. They leave every year and a half. Let me tell you something. We've had two great pastors. We really, we got a great children's ministry. We've got a great youth ministry, I think. We've got an awesome worship team. We've got a great staff. We've got hundreds of people. I asked Austin this morning, he said, how many volunteers do we have, Austin? He said, that's over 100. Listen, guys, you want to focus on one person or the big picture? God's not finished with four points. I think he's just getting started. As you think about perspective, there's another guy that you've got to listen to and you've got to look at. It's a guy by the name of Joseph. Most of you know the story of Joseph's life. Joseph, when he was a young man, probably about the age of Stephen down here, he, uh, yeah, you better pay attention. Say, I'm going to get you. No, he was paying attention. He's taking notes. I know y'all. I'm just getting. <laughs> I have to wake him up sometime, guys. Uh, he was awake. Stephen's a great guy. But this young man, all of his other brothers were jealous of him. He was the favorite son. And one day when he get, went to tell them about something, they took him and they threw him in a pit and were going to leave him to die. But then one of the brothers convinced them, let's don't just do that. Let's make money off of it. So they sold him as a slave. And then he was sold to Potiphar, who was a very influential man in the kingdom of Egypt. And then while he was there serving Potiphar, his wife tried to seduce him. He wouldn't respond to it. He wouldn't go along with her plans. 
And so she falsely accused him and told her husband that this young guy you brought in here is trying to seduce me. He had him thrown in prison where he was there for several years. While he was in prison, he, he had two other guys to betray him. And he was stuck again. But then the king had a dream. And he needed somebody to interpret the dream. And he heard about a young boy by the name of Joseph. A godly young boy by the name of Joseph that could interpret dreams. You see, I don't think David focused on his fear. He focused on, excuse me, Joseph didn't focus on his fear. He focused on his faith. And you probably know the story. He interpreted the dream for the king. And he was made the number two man there in Egypt. There was a big famine in the land. And everybody had to come to the king, to the kingdom to get food. And one day in the time of distribution, Joseph is sitting there allotting the food that everybody gets. And guess who shows up? But those same brothers that threw him into prison, threw him into slavery, threw him in the pit. I don't know about you, but I know how I'd have felt. But I think it's amazing the perspective that Joseph had on this whole situation. Because look what he told his brothers as they trembled in fear. Do not fear, for I am in the place of God. In other words, he's saying, I'm where God wants me. As for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good. Do you see that faith-based perspective that he has there? As we look at another situation in the book of John, chapter 11, we see three friends, close friends of Jesus, Mary, Martha, Lazarus, friends that he'd been in their home, he'd ate, eaten with. And Martha gets word to Jesus that Lazarus is deathly sick. And you know what Jesus chooses to do, basically? To ignore it and not show up. Now, let me ask you a question. If you had a brother that was about to die and you knew a close friend could save his life, how would you feel about it? <clears throat> I think that's probably how she felt a little bit. She didn't understand what was going on. Four days <clears throat> after Lazarus had died, Jesus shows up. He's never late. He has perfect time. And Martha runs out to meet him. And look what she says. Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Look at this statement right here. But even now, I know that God will give you whatever you ask. That's the kind of faith that we have to have as a church and as individuals. The even now kind of faith. Even now, God, is this not going like I understand it? God, like I planned it? God, God, it doesn't make sense. But even now, I know that God will give you whatever you ask. Martha wanted a healing. In fact, she was willing to, to settle for a healing. But God had something a whole lot bigger, a resurrection. A resurrection. God tweets through resignations, burning bushes and donkeys. He snapchats through storms and rainbows and earthquakes, and he whispers 
in a still, small voice. Whose voice are you listening to? Your presence, O God, is the comfort of my soul. Let all that I am be consumed with who you are. There's another guy in the hall of fame of perspective. In fact, he may actually be right there at the top. It's a guy by the name of King David. I'm not sure if anybody really had the perspective that he had based on what all he'd been through in his life. And, and he writes a story to us in, in the Psalms. And, and, and most of you, if I could ask, you could probably quote that Psalm. And, and you probably have memorized it one time or another. And even if some of you hear that you don't have a church tradition and, and you didn't grow up a lot in church, you've still heard this Psalm. You probably heard it when there was sorrow or when maybe someone had died or was dying. And that's Psalms 23. But because we've, we've read that psalm so much and we've heard that psalm so much and, and it's like other passages of scripture, it just becomes commonplace and we miss what's really there. We miss what God wants to tell us through that passage of scripture. I want to read that passage of scripture to you and I want you to focus on what it says and see if it speaks to you. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want he makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his namesake. And even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the midst or the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Would you say that passage of Scripture is packed with faith-based perspective? I wonder if you were a sheep wandering through this psalm, where would you find yourself? My daughter asked that question this summer to a bunch of third through fifth grade students as she was serving at a church in Cullowee, North Carolina as an intern. And it's a question, I think, that we need to ask ourselves. And she said the kids had been setting for a while, so she realized she needed to get their little bodies moving. And if we're going to learn anything, she decided that she was just kind of be creative and, and do something creative. She's a lot more creative than her dad. She said, I gave each of the kids a plastic toy sheep and told them we're going to walk through Psalms 23 together as a flock following our shepherd. First, we played around for a minute on a green tablecloth. That was our green pasture. Then we stopped for a minute to grab a refreshment and a moment of shut-eye beside a blue tablecloth, our calming waters, and so on and so forth the flock went. After we had wandered through the psalm together, we sat down to take our journey following the shepherd. I asked them, I wonder if you were a sheep wandering through this psalm, where would you be right now? Same question I ask you. Some kids said they were in green pastures because they'd just come from the game time outside, so they had to be rejuvenated. Some kids said they wished they were by the still water because they needed a nap from all the playing. Then one girl silently placed her sheep at the bottom of the huge line we had drawn to represent a valley. The valley of the shadow of death. I asked her, 
She said, why have you placed your sheep in that spot? And the little girl said, I'm all the way at the bottom. My dad just died. What do you say to someone in that valley, especially to a young child? She said, I didn't know what to say, so I just asked the kids, what do we do when one of our sheep is in the valley? One by one, the kids took their little sheep and started to move it right there with hers down in the valley. Finally, one little boy spoke up and said, we go get them. None of our sheep get left behind. And she said, the other teacher and I just looked with astonishment at each other and said, it was a moment I'll never forget. Listen to me, four points. We've got to pull together to unify, to move our sheep together. And seek God and seek his presence and see what he's trying to do through us and in us. As you look back at this passage of scripture, I want you to see something here. There's, there's two words that just have two letters that are so powerful that if you, if you, don't, if you don't get it, you're going to miss it. What does David say? Does he say, the Lord was my shepherd? He, should, he could be my shepherd. There'll be a time where he'll be my shepherd. No, what did he say? The Lord is. He is my shepherd. That's what we have to claim. That's what you have to claim. And then look what he says in the next two, two little letters. My shepherd. He doesn't say somebody else's shepherd. He doesn't tell you about somebody else. He doesn't say it was so-and-so. He said he is my shepherd. I shall not lack anything is the actual probably translation of that passage of scripture. And then he goes on there, and I won't have time to go through all this, but I just want to point out a couple of things. He says he restores my soul. You know what that means? It means my life actually returns. How many of you, is that what needs to happen to you today? Your life needs to return. In fact, the, the, the translation probably that I like the most of it or, or the interpretation it actually means he reanimates me. I don't know about you, but I kind of need reanimating. Some of you here in your frustration and confusion today, that's what you need. And then notice there where it says, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, it doesn't say I ran through the valley. You run when you get scared. It says I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. In fact, he didn't say that the sheep were scared or, or that they were quivering and frightening. We get the impression that the sheep weren't frightened at all as they passed through the valley. Why? Because you are with me. You look at the story of David, you know there were a lot of valleys there. His son tried to take his kingdom. Another son raped and violated his daughter. Another son killed his brother. David knew what it was be to be in the valley, but he said, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. And then look what he says, my cup overflows. Guys, let me tell you something this morning. God wants to overflow your cup. He wants to send favor and blessings on you that you can't even receive. Now look what he says in closing out. Surely goodness and mercy 
shall follow me all the days of my life. And look at his perspective, and I'm going to dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Wow, what a promise. What a faith-based perspective. As we finish up and wrap up this morning, I got a book by a guy by the name of Tyler Perry this week. You've probably never heard of Tyler. All I can tell you is I've seen all of his movies a bunch of times. He became famous by dressing up like his, grand, his, his aunt Medea. Tyler bought a movie theater in Atlanta, but it wasn't a movie theater. It was, it was some kind of military base, and he turned it into a, 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 a place to make movies. And he had been there for some time, and he kept getting these astronomical water bills. And he got tired of it. He said, I'm tired of paying these big water bills. There's got to be a solution. So he called a, a drill company. He said, I need you to come out here and drill for me and get me a well. They said, okay, that's fine. So they came, and they drilled down about 500 feet, and guess what? They didn't hit any water. And so Tyler kind of got discouraged, and he said, hey, that's, yeah, it's okay. Just stop. I'm going to do something else. Well, for the next couple months, he continued to get those big water bills. And finally, he says, I'm not doing that anymore. I'm going to hit water no matter what it takes. So he called the drill guy back and said, don't you come back out here. We're going to hit water. The guy said, it's going to cost a lot. He says, I don't care. Sometimes it's worth the cost. So he came and he showed up and he started where he drilled the last time. He got down there to 500 feet and he moved, drilled another 200 feet. Still didn't hit any water. He drilled another 200 feet. He still didn't hit any water. He drilled another 100 and something feet there and he hit a rock and broke a drill bit. And the driller said, this is going to cost you a lot of money. He said, are you sure you don't want to stop? He said, I'm not sure we've ever drilled this deep to find water. Tyler Perry said, don't stop drilling. There's water down there somewhere. He said, keep drilling. And the story goes, as he tells it, he drilled down four more inches. And they found water. And that well has serviced that property now for five years. The Bible says, he who believes in me, as the scripture says, from his innermost being will flow rivers of water. Listen to me, Four Points Church. Don't stop drilling. We've stopped drilling. Don't stop drilling. There's water there. There's people that we need to touch. There's lives that Four Points Church can touch. There's lives that need to be reached and saved and brought into the kingdom of God. Don't stop drilling. There's some of you here, here today and your life is dry. There's no purpose. There's no meaning. You've stopped drilling. Don't stop drilling. You're four inches away from a victory. You're four inches away from a well that'll never run dry in your innermost being. Who am I talking to today? Who am I talking to you're a sheep. You're in the kingdom. And you need to have water in your well because it's been dry. You know Jesus Christ. He's your Lord and Savior. But your innermost being is empty and dry and purposeless. I want to challenge you today to keep drilling. 
to seek God, to be consumed by Him so that you can be consumed by everything that He is. And then I wonder if there's somebody here today and you've stepped inside Four Points Church, you don't even know why you're here, you just decided to come, somebody's been bugging you to death. For some of you, you just walked in because you want to see what in the world's happening over there. But the Spirit of God has got your heart and your mind and your soul. And you know, as I've shared this message, you've heard about the shepherd, but you're not one of his sheep. And today, the Spirit of God is drawing you so that the great shepherd can step out of heaven and step into your heart. I want you to bow your heads just with me just a second. Are you that one or two here today that, that the Spirit of God has drawn you and you know you don't have a relationship with Jesus? If you were to die today, you wouldn't spend eternity with Jesus. You'd, you'd spend it in hell. But you want to step into the kingdom. You want that relationship. You want that river. You need God to forgive your sins to cleanse you from all unrighteousness. Is there anybody here today that would just look up at me and say, Preacher, I need that, Jesus. You looking at me? Is that what you need? Great. Thank you, Jesus. Who else? Who else here today? Just look up at me. Be sure I see you if I don't wave at me. Anybody else here today? Thank you, Jesus. Heavenly Father, we praise you. We thank you. We thank you for this one young lady here today, God, that embraced you, was drawn to you, like several others, Father, in the early service. Father, we pray for that river in our innermost being here at Four Points Church. God, I pray for those that have, that have been in the kingdom, Father, but they're dry. God, that today maybe they could just get a fresh anointing of who you are, that your cup would run over and anoint them, and your favor would roll off of them. We love you, Jesus, and we give you all the glory and the praise and the honor. In your holy name we pray.